If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast with Tim Benz, presented by Bet Rivers. Lots to get to today when we talk about the Penguins. A little bit later on with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Tim Benz here for the Pittsburgh CityCast on a Tuesday. Getting set for the big tool show at PPG Paints Arena tonight. That's what's on my agenda. Sort of taking a half day from work to get ready for that. <clears throat> get ready for that. If you know what I mean, uh, tool tonight, and then we'll get back into sports on Wednesday and Thursday. The Penguins don't play again until Thursday night against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Mets will break down that game for us and look at where the Pens stand in the Metro. Also, keep in mind tonight at the Peterson Event Center, it's Duke against Pitt, the final game in Pittsburgh, at least we think for now, for Mike Krzyzewski, who knows, Maybe potted here to open up the first weekend of NCAA tournament play. I would think perhaps as a one seed, another step towards that if they can beat the Panthers tonight, which of course they should. As a Syracuse fan, I'm still feeling it after the loss last night to North Carolina. Cole Swatter of what, like 36 or something ridiculous like that? Yeah, I think it was 36. The record at North Carolina for a visiting player, Lionel Simmons with 37. My gosh, I think I remember that game. But at any rate, Syracuse loses because they couldn't inbound the ball with 14 seconds left, resulted in a Carolina basket. Syracuse answers, forces overtime, but they get their doors blown off in overtime, and North Carolina gets a win. Uh, I can't believe they're still in the bubble. They were talking about them like they were on the broadcast last night, but I think Carolina should be firmly in Duke tonight. 14.5-point favorites at Pitt. I like the Panthers in this one to cover the 14 and a half. They had been playing decent basketball with victories against Florida State, North Carolina State, and North Carolina before losing to Georgia Tech and Miami. Yeah, they looked outclassed in the Miami game, the Georgia Tech game. That's just not a loss you should have for turning things around. Duke, though, I got to imagine, has to be looking ahead to the North Carolina game on Saturday, the last game at Cameron Indoor for Mike Krzyzewski, right? There's no way they're coming to Pittsburgh focused on the Panthers. So my best bet is that Duke wins, but doesn't exactly do so in easy fashion. My gosh, it's minus 1667 on the money line. Uh, I think Pitt covers. You know that Mike Krzyzewski doesn't want to blow out Jeff Capel anyway, specifically given the way the Capel season has gone and their relationship with him as a former assistant to Coach Gay. Yeah, I think this one stays under 14 15 points, and I do think that the Blue Devils win, but I think the Panthers will cover. 
I kind of want to start with the Steelers, though, at 500 to 1 still to win the Super Bowl, understandably why. 65 to 1 to win the AFC North, understandably why. The biggest reason being they don't have a quarterback right now, or they do, but his name is Mason Rudolph. And when it comes to the Steelers quarterback situation, there are a lot of theories about what the organization should do. One of them is make a big trade for an established veteran like Aaron Rodgers or Derek Carr or Russell Wilson. The second one is draft the potential future starter in the first round. The other one is do nothing and ride it out with Mason Rudolph and Dwayne Haskins so they can throw money and draft picks at the other holes on the roster. I advocated for the first approach with little public support, but one thing I wouldn't do is attempt to solve the Steelers quarterback issues by simply throwing a volume of bodies at the position. And I saw recently Tony Pauline from the Pro Football Network write that the word he's getting is that Pittsburgh is targeting Malik Willis in the 2022 NFL Draft. And as he says, I can't confirm Pittsburgh is targeting Willis, but I do know they like him an awful lot. As far as free agents, I'm told they are targeting three signal callers, Mitch Trubisky, Teddy Bridgewater, Jameis Winston. And then he says the combination of one of those three QBs plus selecting Willis in the NFL draft would set up the Steelers both short and long term. And that's what I mean when I talk about throwing volume at the Steelers quarterback position. In other words, I don't want to see them bring back Haskins, Rudolph, Josh Dobbs, and another mid-tier backup veteran quarterback, or Haskins, Rudolph, a mid-round draft choice, and Dobbs. To me, that's not being decisive. That's being cluttered. You can fix other positions of need on a football team by merely accumulating numbers on the depth chart and employing a sort of survival of the fittest Darwinist mentality, perhaps wide receiver or secondary or defensive line along the interior of the offensive line. Quarterback doesn't work that way. The less clear the plan, the less likely you are to see the potential of whoever happens to be the quarterback at the time. Because... At the first sign of trouble, it's easy to bench a player that has no commitment behind him and go to plan B or C or D. For the Steelers, they always seem to do that when they don't have a lot of good options to choose from in the first place. Like when they were bouncing back and forth between Rudolph and Duck in 2019 or in 1999 to 2000 when they were wobbling between Kent Graham and Mike Tomczak and Cordell Stewart or 1985 when they were a pinch of Mark Malone, a dash of Scott Campbell, a dollop of David Woodley all mixed together. That's what a quarterback room made up of Rudolph, Haskins, Dobbs, a draft choice, and a fill-in-the-blank cast-off quarterback X sounds like to me. And again, back to the post from Tony Pauline. Willis in the draft along with a Trubisky or Bridgewater or Winston? Let's be clear. If a franchise is targeting at least two of four quarterbacks at once, it isn't targeting any at all. That's just like throwing every dart at the board at once and hoping one hits the bullseye by luck, not targeting one on purpose when you're taking close aim. I mean, as Pauline used the phrase there, set the Steelers up. Set the Steelers up for what exactly? A year-long game of drunken jello twister at the position? especially since this franchise already has Rudolph and Haskins and Dobbs at their disposal to start camp if they need them as options to buffer the depth chart. 
to me, nothing about that approach indicates a commitment to a plan. Nothing about that strategy suggests a focus. That plan of attack sounds more like going to sea with plenty of life jackets because you know the boat is leaky. So find a better boat before you shove off instead then, or stay landlocked until you can build one from scratch. And that might be Malik Willis, or Kenny Pickett, or Sam Howell. You may not like the idea of the Steelers bringing in Rodgers or Wilson or Carr because you think the cap dollars will be too much and the trade compensation needed will be too much, but at least those guys would keep them in the playoff hunt over the next few years. You may see flaws in each of the quarterbacks who are projected first-rounders, but if the Steelers drafted one, at least they'd be committing to cultivating long-term success at the position. And you may not like the idea of riding with Rudolph and Haskins in 2022, but at least the franchise could use lots of cap dollars and draft picks to start rebuilding the rest of the roster and maybe be in a better draft position next year. At least choosing one of those three options would be a more obvious plan and a distinct strategy. Rudolph plus Haskins plus a rookie plus Bridgewater Trubisky Winston sounds to me like a bad quarterback potluck picnic at Three River Stadium in 1985. I just endured 80s night for the Penguins at PPG Paints Arena last week. It was all too real because the Penguins played terribly like they did in the 80s and lost 6-1 to to New Jersey. I feel like I'm watching the Pirates of the 80s every time I attend a game at PNC Park. I don't need to relive the 80s again with the Steelers quarterback position too by going to Latrobe, maybe, in... August of this year and looking at five quarterbacks and saying, I don't know if I like any of them. Numbers doesn't solve the problem here, period. All right, we'll come back and talk pens next with Brian Metz of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. This is the Pittsburgh CityCast. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience rush pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go-ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at BetRivers.com. Presented by Rivers Casino Pittsburgh. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Back on the Pittsburgh City Cast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the app today or go to BetRivers.com. The Penguins off until Thursday. They'll next play the Tampa Bay Lightning. And right now, the Lightning still co favorites to win the East with the Florida Panthers at plus 750. The only team in front of them, the Colorado Avalanche out of the West at plus 450. Actually, tonight, interesting opportunity if you want to get in on a parlay. I like this one. The Lightning and the Hurricanes to win straight, minus 360, minus 220. That's a nice little way to get to, I think, lay up victories in the NHL down to a more manageable price. Might want to give that some consideration. Good one out west, Calgary and Minnesota. Uh, That one's almost even on the straight-up win line. Minus 104, the Flames, minus 113 for the Wild. Definitely one to keep an eye on there. Uh, As mentioned, the Penguins off until the Thursday game against the Lightning. It's a chance for us to catch up with Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Post-game intermission, Penguins Live weekly host on Saturdays with Paul Steigerwald on 105.9 The X. We start off 
talking about the game against the Lightning after those back-to-back wins in the Metro for the Pens against the Rangers and the Blue Jackets over the weekend. Currently sitting in second place behind Carolina, who's at plus 800 to win the Cup. I still like the value there. I have for weeks now. We talk about a rematch with the Hurricanes looming and a real tough schedule for the Penguins over the next few weeks to start things off with Mets here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. Mets up next now, what, the Tampa Bay Lightning on Thursday? The road just gets harder, right? Yeah, that's kind of the the whole story coming down the stretch this year, Tim. I mean, every game is essentially a tough one. They have a really, really murderous row of teams laying ahead of them here until they get to March 19th when the Arizona Coyotes are there. So that's their first kind of dip in the action. But, yeah, it's going to be a ton of tough games, a ton of division games. A couple more against Carolina looming before the end of the year. Three more against the Rangers, Boston Bruins, etc. A couple Nashville Predators games, etc. So it's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think the Penguins are going to have their work cut out for them. But they did a pretty nice job this weekend in collecting four big points. Not a lot of scoring, particularly five on five. They've become reliant on big power play goals at key times, it feels to me, Brian. How do they improve five on five? Well, the thing is going to be, uh, you, you got to just find ways to get, if, if he's still on the roster, you know, post trade deadline, but you got to find a way to get Kasperi Kapanen going. You got to get Zach Aston Reese to have more than one goal on the season. I think he has one, one in his last 40 plus games, right? It's one in 29 and only one in 40 plus for the season. You got to get um, Brock McGinn going again. He was pretty good early in the season. I thought Dan Heinen was pretty good early in the season and he hasn't been. Now, this may all kind of help itself out a little. I know we spent time last week talking about Teddy Bluger, but getting him back gives you a little bit more balance through your lineup in terms of the lines, the way that they're going to be con- constructed. I think that will help, but he's not necessarily going to be back right away. There's a slim, slim, slim chance that you see him by the end of the week or next week, but he's really only at about going to be at about five weeks. And they said originally six to eight. So while he's been skating a lot, I think that that's, that's, you know, something to be positive about, but I don't know that he's ready to be back anytime soon. So that said, you have got to just simplify the game, shoot the puck. Don't pass up those shooting opportunities, which I've seen far too often. I thought Brian Rust even this weekend passed up some great scoring opportunities in terms of looking off for a pass. One of those times resulted in obviously setting up of Genny Malkin for a power play going against Columbus. And he also had what eight shots against the blue jackets in a game in which I thought he passed up a lot of looks. So I think that, They've had a, a bad shooting percentage situation going on. They've been putting up some some shots on goal. They just need to start getting rewarded for them. But I think to break through five on five, they need to get traffic in front of some of these goaltenders. One of the best stats I saw was a few weeks uh, or a couple weeks back whenever they lost to Toronto four to one. They had something like 40 plus shots in the game. And Phil Bork sent me a note saying that those shots had an average distance of 36 feet per shot. So you got to get in tight. You got to create traffic, a little misdirection in front of goaltenders. And I think you will start to get rewarded five on five. So a lot of long witted answer there for you, Tim. But I, I think that that's really what it comes down to simplify, get some um, misdirection, get the goaltenders moving around a little bit. Mark Madden, when he was on with us on Monday, said that he thought that the Penguins needed a shakeup and needed a big trade at the deadline, maybe an old-fashioned 1991-92-esque player-for-player swap. What do you think? Um, It wouldn't shock me just based on 
some of the rumors that have been floating around. I mean, nothing huge has been talked about in terms of names, but I've heard some whispers. There's been a lot of scouts down at the arena, and it's from some teams that you could potentially deal with. Uh, the Senators had a scout there. Uh, Buffalo has had Jason Carmanos there watching for a couple of different games in a row now. So uh, I would look at their roster in terms of a hockey-type trade. Also, Vancouver has had some scouts there, and that is one destination in which I think you could make a hockey trade because Jim Rutherford obviously knows what the Penguins have in the cupboard here, and he has some players that he he, he you know had affection for in drafting them and or acquiring them. So you might be able to make that kind of deal for a switch-up type situation. Maybe Kapanen goes there for a player that struggled a little bit that might just need a change of scenery. So to Mark's point, I think that is something that they they may look at just to kind of shake up the deck a little bit. The bottom six has looked a little suspect since Bluger's gone out. A lot of those guys have fallen off a cliff in terms of their productivity five-on-five. Five. So I think you could use maybe a, a little mix-up in there of getting a different style of player in, maybe someone who brings in a little bit more of a bruising approach, maybe a, a power forward type in that mix. But you also have a couple bodies in your own organization that I think maybe deserve a, a look at this point. Redeem Zahorna comes to mind and even Anthony Angelo. Both of those players are a little bit more physical. Um, Zahorna doesn't hit a lot, but he has a big a big frame and he knocks guys around just because of his size. So I think they could be somebody that, that could just mix up the, the situation a little. But to, uh, again, to Mark's point, I think a change of scenery type hockey trade would suit this team now, but I don't anticipate them sending out any kind of big name. I think Happening is somebody I have a spotlight on as someone you could move. And maybe a couple of times I've heard John Marino's name come up. So that's two players that Jim Rutherford obviously is going to have affection for. So maybe Vancouver and Pittsburgh are a match after all. Of course, in return from Vancouver, people are thinking about Brock Besser and JT Miller. What, you know what? The fact that Jim Rutherford is there, tells me that you know anything is on the table in terms of bodies on the move but I, I don't know that if I was Vancouver and I am still trying to get this rebuild going you have a lot of young talented players I don't know that JT Miller is the first guy I would be looking to move out but we also know that the Penguins organization has coveted one of the Pittsburgh kids for quite some time they were so disappointed that they didn't find a way to get Sod, Trocheck, Miller or John Gibson. So maybe, you know, there's a little bit of that coming back into the conversation and you could potentially sway a Jim Rutherford with dangling a couple of those pieces that he, he knew and loved when he was here to, to give up one of those guys. I mean, Besser not having his best season. He's kind of struggled this year and JT Miller. I mean, he can do anything. He can play the wing. He can play center. He kills penalties. He plays the power play. So that would be a great type of get. I just don't know how the lineup really falls into place with yet another true center coming on board, even though I just told you he can play the wing. But it, there's there's a lot to like there. One name that popped up for me uh, was Tyler Mott as just somebody that could mix up the bottom six a little bit. He was very effective a couple years back with Brandon Sutter on a, a third, fourth type line for them that was out producing a little bit of offense, grinding, forechecking like crazy. And he hasn't really been any name I've even heard a lot about with Brandon Sutter being out. He's dealing with a long-term COVID ailment. He's not played a game this year, and they're about to shut him down. So maybe that's a name that you could get to just bolster your bottom six a little bit. You mentioned Marino. I've heard Dumoulin. Is Dumoulin just too much for them to swallow? Like too much of a bridge to cross to make that kind of trade? I guess it all just depends on what you're going to get back. I mean, 
if you take out a guy who I know he's had some suspect moments, specifically if you look at the Blue Jackets game, Tim, both of the goals that they scored in the game, Brian Dumoulin left fingerprints on. I mean, he he lost Bjorkstrand on the first goal, didn't have him covered. And right before he even had that happen, he turned the puck over at the blue line. And then on the uh, Roslovic goal, he throws a puck kind of you know sloppily up the wall and hits the stanchion, goes right to Roslovic, and then he scores. So very uncharacteristic of Dumoulin. And he's had those kinds of plays lately. So I feel like he is a player that at some point they will pull the shoot on. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe Steelers-esque, you know, how they would always get out of a contract or out of a guy just before the bottom truly fell out. I don't know that we're there with Brian Dumoulin, but he's not looked like himself. I, but my only concern is he typically, when he's playing well, is so good with Chris Letang on that top pair. So if you send him out, who who slides into that role? Is it somebody like John Marino who did play with Chris Letang at one point in the past when Dumoulin was out with an injury? There's really not a defenseman on the Vancouver Canucks roster that I would love to bring in right now. There's a there's some true offensive guys. The one guy you'd love to have is Quinn Hughes, and you know they're not trading him. So I, I think that is a bridge that's tough to cross right now just in terms of him being their best, quote-unquote, best uh, defensive defenseman who can also still move the puck very effectively. He's just struggling a little bit right now, and I think that's why his name's coming up quite a bit in this speculation. Brian Metzer with us. We talked about the under hitting a couple times with a one nothing win against the Rangers and a 3-2 win against the Blue Jackets. The goaltending was good in both games from both teams. Shesterkin really opened my eyes. I knew he was good. I saw the numbers coming in, and he lived up to every bit of it, I thought, Metz. But Tristan Jari matched and exceeded him, and Casey DeSmith was pretty good in his own right in the game against Columbus. How do you feel about the goaltending? Is getting a backup for Jari or a potential replacement for Jari in the playoffs if he falters, is that down the list of priorities now? Well, I guess the good news is Louis Domingue was on the ice the other day. He still wasn't working super hard uh, in, in his capacity of being back because he's still coming back from his lower body. He's not on that on that trike anymore. He had the leg up. It looked like Nick Benino at the Stanley Cup parade a few years back, the way he was moving around the press box and everything. So he's back skating. Now, if he can be healthy, that gives you a little bit of, of a glimmer of hope of an NHL caliber goaltender. I'm not saying he's the answer but he's available if something would go sideways. Now, that said, I, I've been very impressed with Casey DeSmith over the last little while here. I mean, going back to um, the Detroit start that he had at the end of January, he was really solid in that one. Uh, the way he played that game, it was an overtime loss for him or a shootout loss, if I'm not mistaken, one or the other. It's an overtime loss. Sorry about that. Uh, that was a really good start for him. Then he came back and he had the shutout against Ottawa. He wasn't so hot against the Flyers, even though he made some good saves there and they still found a way to win. But he's been really solid now um, in a couple appearances. He, he came in in relief in the Devils game and only allowed one. And then he was really good against the Blue Jackets. So does that mean he's back? I, I hope it means he's back. He talked about the confidence having grown working with Andy Kyoto just the same way as Tristan Jari. But the small sample of just back to the end of January, he looks like the guy that he was in the past, which gives you a little bit of hope. Jari, I'm hoping, will not fall to earth the way that he did last year based on what we've seen. You made the point of how well he played against Shesterkin. and I was really impressed with that. He made five saves on that third-period power play opportunity that Marcus Pedersen went to the box for cross-checking. 
he had to make those five really outstanding stops, including a blocker save on Adam Fox. And then he made two on Zabinijad down the stretch, one with 25.4 seconds and one with 10 seconds left that could have had that game tied up and then moving into an overtime or shootout situation. He did not allow it. And he looked like he had some swagger and wanted to prove that he is just as much in that best goaltender talk uh, just alongside Shesterkin. So I think their number one goaltender has them in a really good spot. I have just a little bit of, of, I guess, worry still about the backup. And if they can get one on the cheap, I think you will see them do that. There's a couple guys floating around that have played in the NHL over the years that maybe are tweeners now playing in the AHL. If they can get one of those guys in the organization just for some insurance, I think they might consider it. But if you had to pass on that in terms of getting uh, a depth defense or another player in terms of bolstering your forwards, I think that will be the focal point now based on what Casey's done in his last five or six appearances. Lightning, Panthers, Hurricanes, Golden Knights, all part of this seven-game stretch coming up for Pittsburgh. Uh, The Lightning and Panthers plus 750 to win the Stanley Cup. The Hurricanes at plus 800 with the Golden Knights. The Pens are at plus 1,600 behind the likes of the Wild, the Flames, the Maple Leafs, and those other teams that I just referenced, the Avalanche at plus 450. That number's been hanging pretty solidly on the uh, Bet Rivers app that I've been tracking. Uh, Colorado still the favorite to win the Stanley Cup. Mark Madden was saying uh, when he was on with this Mets, I want to see if you agree with this, that if that's the team that targets Marc-Andre Fleury the hardest, lights out, it's the Avs that win the Cup. Yeah, you know, I mean... He's he's very much in demand now. I just heard something today saying Edmonton was pushing hard to get him again. I, I feel like the Capitals will certainly circle back. So the thing is, that could become a bidding war, and that might scare off a couple of the contenders. But I think he's right there. I mean, but you know what? For everybody over the years that had said Marc-Andre Fleury has faltered in the big game, now suddenly he's the answer for everybody, which is funny. He wasn't the answer for the Penguins. Uh, didn't even have the confidence of his own coach. In both of those last comp- or Stanley Cup runs, he went to Matt Murray. So that doesn't mean I don't love Flower and don't do not think that he can bring that swagger and that winning edge to the goal of whoever he would join. Because I do think he will end up waving his claws to go to one of these contenders. Um, but it does. It could it could shift the balance of power just as much as in the Metropolitan Division, Tim. If somebody like Washington does convince him to come over. That changes their entire team. I know they still can get outskated by the likes of the Penguins, Carolina, etc. but they then would have a goaltender capable of making some saves that the guys they have in net right now have not been able to, to put forth. So if they get that, I think that changes the mix in the division. But if he goes over there to one of those contenders in the West, I know all of a sudden now even Toronto is supposedly – there was an article from Steve Simmons over the weekend saying maybe Mark Andre Fleury's the answer in net. Oh I God! Thought Jack Campbell, I, I don't I thought, want that for him. I, I no, don't. me either. I mean, wasn't Jack Campbell a Vesna candidate just last week, and now he had a couple rough starts? Now they want Mark Andre Fleury. So that's why Mark. I don't. That's why I don't want that for him. <laughs> He's everyone's answer, right, Tim? So Carolina right now minus three seventy-five to win the Metro. Then the Rangers and Penguins are tied next at plus five fifty. I feel like the Hurricanes are separating a little bit. Do you? I, I think they are. They've won five in a row at the time of our recording here. They had, um, you know, they look really good against the Penguins, who are right on their heels now, four points behind at the time of our report, uh, our recording. And they have three games in hand on the Penguins, one game in hand on the Rangers. So. That's something that I I think really helps them because 
they're sitting at 37, 11 and four, four more wins than the Penguins. So even if the Penguins are able to get into a situation where they're tied with them in points, they're seven up on the Rangers right now uh, at this moment. So if the Penguins find a way to tie them, they still would have that tiebreaker at this moment in terms of victories. So it's, uh, it's going to be, I think a race down the stretch, those games remaining with Carolina are going to be so, so huge. But the thing is, it's the unbalanced schedule for some reason. A lot of these division teams, you play four times, you play, you see the the Carolina Hurricanes on the Penguin schedule just three times this season. So only two games remaining with them. So only having those two four point swing type games doesn't give you a lot of wiggle room. So if the Pens go into a little bit of a swoon again, like they just did with the three games lost in regulation uh, recently, I think that does help Carolina's cause. And as, as you just pointed to, I think they are stepping above the fray in the Metro just a little based on their games in hand and the fact that they are absolutely red hot right now. So these seven games that they got, Tampa, Carolina, Florida, Vegas, Carolina again, Nashville, and St. Louis. If they go like... Three, three, and one. If they go like even two, four, and two, is, do I have that math right? No, two, four, and one, or, or something to that effect. Is that all right with you? I mean, did, is, if they're about five hundred through this seven-game stretch, uh, so long as they don't play themselves into the bubble or into the wild card slot, Mets, I'm okay with how they walk out of this. Yeah, because I mean, assuming they stay where they are right now, even if they drop. To behind the Rangers, you're still looking at the same matchup. It's just a matter of home ice. And uh, we've talked so much about or heard talk so much about the Penguins and Rangers really shaping up as what could be the first round matchup. That's kind of where we sit now. So if they don't fall into the wild card to your point there, I think that there nothing really changes for them. My main concern is if you have hopes at a division title this season, which no one gave them a chance at it last year and they ended up pulling it off. You got to, if you do go something like you said, where you're 500 or a game under 500, you got to find a way to win one or both of the Carolina games. So your two or three wins in the next seven have to be those games if you want to make headway in this division, because Carolina is probably still going to be winning games. And if you lose to them, then you're not in a very good, very good spot to jump past them. But I'm with you. As long as they stay in the two and three spot, I think they're in pretty good shape. And when you look at the wild card situation, uh, the Penguins sitting there at 74 points, the closest comp- competitor in the division to them is Washington with 65. So you do have that nine points. That's going to be tough for Wash to make up. Columbus certainly isn't going to be able to climb up and make a run at them with just 55 points. So uh, I-, I think that you're in a pretty good spot to maintain two or three in the Metro, no matter how you do in these next seven. What's going on with all the Russian hockey players in the NHL Mets and what the double IHF is doing by banning, for the time being, Russia and Belarus from competitions? I I think this is going to be really intriguing to watch because it does set precedent, too, that, um, you know, I can recall video footage of or or just you hear things about back in the the axes of evil whenever the world was getting ready for World War Two and all of this and Germany was doing a bunch of crazy stuff. Didn't they host an Olympics and there were 1936. Yeah. I mean, I know it wasn't right in the heart of it, but he was already doing some of the stuff that resulted in all of the, the insanity that we know from that era. So I, I, I understand why the international ice hockey federation is doing what they're doing. Just saying, okay, we're going to, we're going to hold your teams out of this. That's the price you pay for the, the insurrection that you're bringing into your neighboring country of Ukraine. 
But I, I, what I don't agree with Tim is the fact that the, the Russian players here in North America who are playing in the national hockey league are just taking so much criticism. Um, people, people just spent essentially five years in our country being able to say and do anything they wanted about the government with very little repercussion for doing so. I don't think that that is the world that a lot of these Russian players live in. If you go hard at the government, you end up being Artemi Panarin. And uh, what I'm referring to is he spoke critically of Vladimir Putin when he wasn't even doing near what he's doing right now. And all of a sudden, a Kremlin-friendly newspaper published some stories pretty much insinuating that he trafficked uh, children, that he had a, a sex situation with an underage girl, and he had to leave the league for a while, go back, protect his family, get his ducks in a row, exonerate himself and clear his name before he could come back and finish off the season. And then, of course, he got Tom Wilson and uh, missed a big chunk of time after he did return. So that's that's unfortunate. And I think that's why you're not seeing someone like Alex Ovechkin uh, go out of his way to truly go hard at, at Vladimir Putin here. He's trying to say, you know, he wants this to end. He wants peace. But I don't think he's going to take that next step and criticize a guy that could really hurt his family that still lives there uh, and who also is probably done a lot to help the Ovechkins over the course of his younger life before he joined the National Hockey League. So it's a very ugly situation for a lot of these folks. I understand what uh, you know the IIHF is doing. I just don't understand why people are going so hard at, at these Russian hockey players. I feel, I feel really bad for them because they're in an ugly spot. And the National Hockey League just made a comment today saying uh, they're going to pause their Russian language website they're going to pause any um, coverage in Russia that they do, and they are going to also keep themselves out of doing anything in Russia, but they want to look out and protect their Russian players who are playing in their league, not because of um, any ties to their country, but because they're NHL players and a part of that family. It just strikes me now, I mean, there's Russian reporters that follow Malkin and Ovechkin all over the league, right? I wonder what's going on with them. Yeah, um, the one, you know, um, we have a couple, we used to have a couple guys in Pittsburgh that were doing that. It's kind of died off over the years, but the one individual that covers the team here in Pittsburgh is actually a Ukrainian. So he has his thoughts on the whole situation. I haven't seen him for a while, but uh, the last that I did speak with him, uh, they this wasn't going on just yet. It was kind of on the cusp of happening. And he had some, some interesting thoughts that um, he could share at some point if he wants to. But it, it was just... Um, yeah, they, they follow these these guys around, but I don't know that those reporters are really causing any problems. It's uh, the, the homegrown uh, North American folks that are requiring, you know, maybe they have their own beliefs on the situation. They're imposing them on these guys and then criticizing them when maybe they don't see completely eye to eye, even though they are citizens of a whole different country in this situation. I mean, it's kind of interesting to me when I look at how personally – some random reporter from Poughkeepsie is going to take this situation when really they don't have a, a particular dog in the fight other than just being shocked and horrified by what's going on and then being surprised that a Russian player doesn't harbor their same views. Yeah, so I'd I, I tell that reporter from Poughkeepsie, you do it. Yeah, you, you talk exactly. out, you talk about Putin when your family's over there in Russia. You do it. Yeah, and, and and Tim, when you think about it, it's it's like I said though, they're so used to just saying whatever they want about the government here and not really dealing with any backlash. 
that they just anticipate anyone in any country can do the same thing. And I don't think that's how it's set up over there. And we're probably ruffling feathers by us even saying that. But it's true uh, to the point you just made. I mean, these guys have to worry about their own families and, and keeping them safe because, you know, as well as I do, if you say the wrong thing in the middle of this whole situation, someone's at your someone's at your family's door. You may even be dealing with it yourself. They may come in and send somebody to see you. And for me, um, if I were the Penguins, for example, I'm not making Evgeny Malkin available anytime very soon so that he doesn't have to go through what, what Ovechkin did. And, you know, unsurprisingly, they have not had him available since this has happened. Gino spoke just ahead of it and kind of he doesn't speak that often anyway. So he's kind of able to fly under the radar, but I'm waiting for someone to pull his name out of a hat next and go after him because he hasn't addressed the situation. Well, some of it, Mets, is virtue signaling at its worst. You know, just because you put a Ukrainian flag on your Facebook profile doesn't mean that you're making the impact that you're asking some of these Russian hockey players to do by actually speaking out and putting their name on the record. Putin and his henchmen don't care what you do on your Twitter account. They do care what Ovechkin and Malkin and Panarin say. And that is a big, big difference. And the other thing about it is, like, I can't stand the hypocrisy of some people who I know see this as an opportunity to, you know, in the metaphorical sense and in the Twitter sense, fly the Ukrainian flag high to make themselves look so much like they care. But at the same time, they would be the first people to castigate anyone who would cast a net so wide as to say, well, you're Russian, so you're just like all of them. That would turn the stomach of some of these people who are doing exactly that to these Russian hockey players. And like I said earlier, are doing so from the comfort of not having to walk not a mile in their shoes, but not a footstep. Well, and not to mention, Tim, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, put in something on your Facebook profile or something is how many people here have felt they've been making these big, impactful statements for years. And really, it allows them to do nothing other than put that thing on their profile. And that's not so easy for the Russian players you just mentioned. It's also when, when you just want to say that, OK, you happen to hail from the country, so you have to answer for the you know misdeeds of the leader of your country. I don't know that that's accurate either. It's just it takes me back to what I just said. You you have a, a five a four to five year window here where a lot of people didn't agree with leadership and they just were able to come out and bash it and, and speak against it without any repercussion. These folks do not have that ability to do so. And I, I made this point to you before we went live. When you start trying to cast the net and say every Russian who's in the National Hockey League and every Russian in the country has to you know speak out and make a comment, otherwise you can't trust them or whatever. It, it really smacks of internment camps for Japanese people back in the day where you just you, we were so worried about them. That was different because the United States was actually in that war and we're not in this one other than uh, putting some sanctions on and all that kind of thing. But is that the next step then? You know, are you going to say, well, we have to well, expel Yeah, I know Russian. what you're saying. And, and sort of like, you know, this movement of you've got to stand up and be on our side. It's love <laughs> it or leave it. The, the same people that are demanding this of Malkin and Ovechkin and Panarin are exactly the same people that if they saw something like that on Twitter would try to cancel whoever did it. I mean, like they are the heads of cancel culture. And because there's a movement out there that they align themselves with, they feel like they can go 180 and be completely on the other side of the fence and be on the offensive and frankly be jingoistic. Like the last people in the world who are normally jingoistic are suddenly being that way on behalf of Ukraine 
and flushing what they deem to be their normal American values of this being a safe harbor for people to get out of countries like that. I mean, it just exactly it, right. it makes me so angry to see crap like that from individuals that we know who they are, you know, like we, yep. we know who these people are. We're used to seeing their act on Twitter and it just drives me friggin' insane. No, I, I completely agree. It's, it's terrible to see, especially whenever, I mean, Artemi Panarin has essentially made himself an American. He, he all but said, you know, he, there were times where he's pretty much said, I don't care if I ever go back, you know, he's North Americanized. He's living here. He loves his life here. He loves his life in New York city. And he's embraced his his American life. And why should he have to answer for a guy that he has already been critical of in the past? Alex Ovechkin, he's being beat up for a picture he took with the guy however many years ago. I mean, when they had that Putin Cup or whatever it was. And um, I know that he has had um, not necessarily affection, but a, 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 a solid relationship with that individual over the years. But I feel like many in their hockey community have almost been forced to do that because he put a lot of money into their international teams he puts a lot of money into the khl he really looks at that as their number one sport uh in all their olympic competitions etc so a lot of those guys grew up having to kind of bend the knee and and kind of deal with that so it's a very it's even tougher for them i think to be critical now and they're all here i mean they, they live here they've been north americanized as i mentioned with with panarin i think these others have as well yes they go back and they spend time overseas but they're, they're kind of here now, and they have been for two decades almost. So cut them a break. Mitch, we're solving all the world's problems as we often do. Thanks for taking the time. Look forward to seeing you at the arena for a non-hockey event on Tuesday night for Tool. Uh, long time waiting for this one. Set list kind of interesting. A couple that are coming out of left field. They still haven't played Tempest yet. I suppose I'm asking too much for that to change <laughs> on Tuesday night, right? I don't know. I, you know what? Whenever we finish up here, I'll see if I can't get Maynard on the blower and uh, get him to add that for you special, Tim, because it's you know we need to do something nice for you. Mets, we'll talk again next week. Sounds good, my friend. Thanks for this as always. All right, so my thanks again to Brian Metzer of the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Make sure you listen to him for intermissions, for postgame, and on Penguins Live Weekly on Saturdays with Paul Steigerwald. And yeah, that... Russian hockey player conversation is one that I think is worth having. I got into it much more on the Breakfast with Ben's page on Trib Live. You can read it there, and we'll talk about it with Mike Pursuta coming up later on this week. We'll also get into lots of Pens and Steelers talk with him as well. I'll catch up with you after the Tool Show here in the Pittsburgh CityCast. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.